Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months into the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May be seated. Thank you, Jessica. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word? Pray together. Lord Jesus, we pause before your word here. We just want to open our hearts. We pray that you would just calm the distractions in our minds and in our hearts. Would you take away the worries that surround us in our world today, the fears that are so prevalent, the grievances that get us swirling in bitterness. Lord, all of these things that just grab our hearts and occupy our attention. Lord, we pray that in these moments as we come to your word, that you would just calm them. And you would just allow us to open our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. To hear your words, to see you, and to enjoy you. That we would be changed. Would you come and be our teacher? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So question for our kids this morning. Get us started here. Kids, have you ever, have you ever walked into a room for something and you walk into that room and you totally forget what you came for? Why you come in there? Does that happen to anybody? Okay, that makes me feel better because it happens to me all the time. I, I think increasingly so. I, I don't know what's, I guess I'm getting older, but I walk into a room, I have no idea why I'm there. I actually have this experience all the time whenever I walk into a grocery store. You ever have this? Like, there is something at the door that erases your memory. At least it does mine. I don't know if it's like the automatic door thing or what. I, I think it's on purpose. But I walk in and I have gone to the grocery store for a very specific purpose. And I walk in and completely forget my name. I walk in to get a loaf of bread, I come out with a head of lettuce and a gallon of ice cream. And I come out and I'm like, what just happened? Sometimes I'll walk in and I'll just be like, what? What am I here for? Does anybody else have this experience? 
It also happens like at Ace Hardware too. I go to the hardware store and I'm like, I'd just be standing in the aisle being like, okay, I came here for some reason. I don't know what that is. Here's what I've learned though. I've got to go in with a list. I've got to go in with something that reminds me you had a purpose in coming here. There was a reason. You were on a mission. You, you had something that you came for. You've got to stay in touch with your purpose and your mission. It's so helpful. I think whenever I come in, I get so distracted. And so it's incredibly helpful to be able to pull out that list and say, okay, bread, that's why I came. Well, I think that really the Christian life is a lot of times this same way. That you go along in the Christian life and you tend to lose sight or become distracted or forget what your mission is. So it's critically important that you're always coming back to the purpose. You're always coming back to, let me get out my list. Let me remind, what am I here for? What am I called to do? Well, who am I? And so because of this, we do every August and every January, we do a vision series here. A vision sermon series at our church. And it's an opportunity to remind us, okay, Grace Community, why are we here? Why do we show up here? Why do we show up here each week? Why did God start this church? What is our vision? What is our purpose? What is our mission? And we've got to constantly be reminded of that or else we're just going to have our minds scrambled and not know what we're here for. You know, one of the ways that this plays out in my own faith is in the area of evangelism. You know, evangelism is something that I've always been really passionate about. Evangelism meaning the, the, the practice of sharing your faith. Of telling people about Jesus. And it's something I love to do. I love to be with unbelievers. I love to share my faith. But even knowing that, even being passionate about that, you know something that's true about my life? I fade away from that. I forget about that. I kind of drift towards this place where I'm just in, in places of ease or comfort. I'm just around other Christians. I think that's very common to happen. And a couple years ago, I started a residency with, a, with a, an evangelism coach. So helpful. This guy that comes into my life and is helping me, it's like a list there to remember what my purpose and my mission is. And one of the things that I've learned from him, and he says this all the time, is that our faith is made for the wild. If you are a Christian, it means that you are called not just to kind of come into a holy huddle and just be, spend all your time, time around other believers, but that there's something just intrinsic in our faith that we are created to be in the wild, to go. We are a sent people by our very identity. So Paul, the very... So easy to... And Al, my evangelism coach, many of you got to meet him. He's come here before and shared with you guys. He... He always likes to say, you know, what easily happens in the church is that we find ourselves on Christian real estate, drinking Christian coffee, having Christian handshakes, and meanwhile, we're totally out of touch with the wild, the world that's around us. You see, our faith and our calling is to go into the wild. Our faith is one that is a missionary faith. We're all called to be missionary. So in our sermon series, we're going to be renewing our vision to be a church that seeks the lost. That's really the heart of Jesus. 
that he said, I've come, the Son of Man has come to seek that which is lost. That was his burning passion, is the, is the passion of the Father, that he would send the Son, that he would bring those to himself that do not know him. And when we started this church, just about eight years ago now, that was our, that was our really burning passion. And we didn't come down to Trenton to start a new church because Trenton needed another church. There's a lot of churches here on every corner. But the reason we came to start the church is because we said, you know, there are people in Dade County that don't know Jesus. that are not flourishing in their relationship with Jesus. And that's our passion. That's why we're coming. That's why as a church, we are committed to church planting. Because we believe church planting is the most effective way to reach the lost. So we as a church are supporting church plants. We are hoping to plant a church of our own. And what is the reason? Because we believe in our vision, in our mission, that we, like Jesus, are called to seek that which is lost. So in this series, in our passage today, we just want to get in touch with the Father's heart for the lost, for the broken, that it might come to shape our own heart. Let's jump into our passage here, and this is one of my favorite passages, and I know I say that each week, but I really mean it this time. But I love John chapter 4, because it's this beautiful picture of an encounter with Jesus. In fact, John shows us over and over these different encounters with Jesus, and there are all kinds of different people. The one before this was Nicodemus, a religious Pharisee that encounters Jesus, and it's changed. But here in, in John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a sinful woman, as she's described here. So as we come into, as you know, we read the passage, we started in verse 27, but there's a whole portion of the story that comes before this. It begins at the beginning of the chapter. It's a long chapter, so I'm going to tell the story. And then we're going to jump into where we started reading here. So here's what happens at the beginning of John chapter 4. We learn that Jesus and his disciples have been in Jerusalem, and it's starting to get hot. The heat is being turned up on Jesus. People, uh, the Pharisees and religious leaders begin to target Jesus. So it's becoming dangerous in Jerusalem. And so Jesus and his disciples leave Jerusalem and they're going to head to Galilee. Now, if you were familiar with the geography of Palestine, if we were to be looking at a map, you would see that here you have Jerusalem and here you have Galilee. And what you have in the middle is this area called Samaria. Now, Samaria was where the Samaritans were, believe it or not. And the Samaritans were a race of people that had been uh, descended of the same uh, line as the Jews, but had intermarried uh, and interspersed with the, uh, with the foreign nations. And so the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. They were seen as those who had compromised with culture to put it in the words of our own day. They were people that had sold out to the ways of the culture. In fact, they had built their own temple, not in Jerusalem, but here near this site in this scene where we come here. And they worshipped in a totally different way and they claimed that they were the true and faithful descendants of Abraham. And the Jews despised them. They looked down on them. They were seen as unclean. In fact, as a Jew, a Jew would do everything they could do to avoid even contact with a Samaritan. If they were even to be with them or to touch them or, God forbid, share a cup, as Jesus does here, with a Samaritan, they would be 
unclean, unfit for temple worship. They would have to go through a long ritual to become pure again. So Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And if you were any good Jew in this day and you were going from Jerusalem to Galilee, the way you would go is not the easiest straight line way through Samaria. No, no. You would go all the way around just to avoid any kind of contact with any Samaritan. But I love what John tells us right there in verse 2. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. It's who he was. So they're going through Samaria and they get there to Jacob's well. Very famous place in ancient Israel. And he sends the disciples on into the town to get food and water. Now Jesus is there. It's at the middle of the day we're told. He's there alone. And all of a sudden a woman shows up. Now what we learn about this woman is that she was a woman who had a reputation in her town. It was a Samaritan woman. It was a woman who had lived a very promiscuous life. In fact, she had been through so many husbands in her life. And we know that she was a woman who was ostracized. And she was a woman who had been cloaked in shame because she shows up not with the women of the town, which would have been the cultural practice. All the women of that town would have gone out to the well together in the morning to get water for the chores for the day. It was a social kind of interaction kind of thing. But this woman is seeking to avoid everybody. So she's by herself in the middle of the day to get water. Now can you imagine what she was feeling as she's coming up, living just cloaked in in shame. And she walks up to the uh, well and there sits a man. And a Jewish man, no less. Because she would have known right off the bat. Now another thing to know that in this culture, um, men and women did not associate in public. It was seen as like a cultural kind of divide that you wouldn't speak to a woman or, or associate in the same place in public because it was seen as improper. So she is just dreading this thing. So she comes up to get her water. And you can just imagine she, what she's thinking to herself. I'm just going to get my water and I'm going to get out of here. Just cloaked in shame. Jesus, of course, engages her. And he says to her, would you give me a drink of water? And she is just stunned. And she says, well, I'm a, I'm a Samaritan woman. You're a Jew and you asked me for a water? Like she knew, like, if he took a drink of water from her utensils, he's done. No worship at the temple. She's just blowing her categories. And then Jesus, of course, you know, he always engaged with a question, but man, he was after the heart. And he said, well, you know, if you knew who it was that was asking you for water, you would have asked him and he would have given you living. Jesus begins to engage her with the gospel and the truth of who he is. And she's kind of stunned and everything. And then Jesus puts his finger on the deepest place of her heart, the deepest source of shame in her life. Speaks truth into her life. He doesn't avoid the situation. He calls her out. Go call your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands. The one you're with now is not your husband. Like he knew everything about her. He's never met her. And you see in this encounter, Jesus pursuing her heart, revealing who he is. Now that brings us to verse 27 where we are here. She's encountered Jesus and she has come to seal. Could this be the Messiah? 
Now, in verse, as we come to verse 27 here, uh, we read, Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. So the disciples, meanwhile, have been in town and they finally get back and they walk up and Jesus is talking with a woman. And you can imagine, I mean, he tells us a little bit what they're thinking. They're, what, what is he doing? What is he thinking here? You know, they were always worried about Jesus blowing his reputation. Right? Which he just loved to blow his reputation. Well, what is, what is he doing? But they're afraid to say anything and they, they just kind of avoid the, the whole subject altogether. But the woman, we're told, she leaves there. And I love what John says here. Verse 28, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. You see what's happening here? I love that little detail. So the woman leaves her water jar. Why, why would you do that? Why would this woman whose needs, I mean, she's performing a daily task. This is something that has to happen. You know, she's got a duty. She's got chores. She's got things to do. The whole reason she came out was to get her water. And yet John tells us she left her water jar. Why? Because she was taken. Jesus. It's like the person of Jesus is now superseded all the other things in her life. And she goes back to the town. And this woman, cloaked in shame, who's doing all she can to avoid any kind of encounter with any other person. I mean, she's looking to avoid all socialization. This woman goes back to the town where she has a reputation and she has been shamed and she goes through the town and says, let me tell you something. I just met somebody who knew everything I ever did. He called me out and yet he loved me. Could this be the Christ? Can I, I mean, this is the first evangelist to the Samaritans. And the whole daggum town goes out to meet Jesus. Can I just pause and say here, as we think about evangelism, and I think about it in my own life, and I think if, if I get to have conversations with people about evangelism, you know, one of the things that often holds us back is this fear of not having the answers, right? Gosh, I, I want to share, I want to talk about Jesus, but what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? You know, what, what if I, I, I try to say it and it just comes out all weird, and oftentimes that holds us back, like I don't know enough to share my faith. Can you just look at this woman's presentation of Christ? She didn't know nothing. She had no theology yet. She's brand new. What did she have? I met a man. He knew everything about me. And yet he accepted me. And I think it might be the Christ. That's her gospel presentation. She just shared her experience. You don't have to know the answers to share the hope that you have in Christ. You don't have to answer all the questions. You know what you do if somebody asks you a question you don't know the answer to? Here's what you do. It's an amazing feat to do this. You say, I don't know. It's okay. <laughs> I don't know, but here's what I do know. And just tell them, here's what my experience is. Here, here's what he means to me. Here's what he's done in my life. That's all she does. And voila, half the town comes out to Christ. It just blows my mind. But 
just want you to see what, you know, Jesus didn't say, okay, now here's what I need you to do, okay? Now that you've believed in me, I need you to be an evangelist. I need you to go back. I need you to share in that town. I need you, here's your presentation. Let's do a little training. He didn't do any of that, did he? He just revealed himself. Why did she do that? Why did she go back? How, how was she able to overcome the shame that had cloaked her life? She had encountered Christ. She had experienced His grace and the wonder of who He was. It just compelled her. Like the, you know, we often say, what is the gospel? What does that mean? It, it, it means good news. It's not good advice. Hey, here's what you should go and do. The gospel is good news. It's an announcement of what God has done. And what do we all do with good news? When you get good news, what do you do? Let me get my phone out. I'm going to start telling people. There is a natural inclination when you receive good news, to share it. Nobody has to say, hey, you need to go share this. If it's good to you, you will talk about it. You will share people, share it with people. And that's what's happened with this woman. She's encountered Christ. She's like, I can go tell some people about it. But look at the contrast between this woman becoming, going from shame to evangelist, bold evangelist, the contrast of her and the disciples. We said, as we said just a minute ago in verse 27, the disciples return. They've just been in that same town, mind you. They didn't talk to anybody about Jesus because they had things to do, right? They had important things to tend to. They had to get food. They had to get water. They were there, saw the same people she talked to, didn't share with anybody. They didn't even see people there. You, you can imagine what they're thinking. They're in Samaria and they're like, Okay, let's get in, let's get out. Let's not touch anybody. Don't look anybody in the face. Let's get out of here as quick as we can. Very different from the woman. You see that contrast. And so they come back to Jesus and they're just weirded out by him talking to a woman and they're like, whatever. You know, let's, let's eat something. Let's eat our meal. Let's try to get out of Samaria. You know, and Jesus looks at them. They say, why don't you eat something? Jesus looks at them. I don't know if he's frustrated. We're not told where his heart is. But he says, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Now one of the things you see over and over in John is that Jesus is talking about spiritual things and people are stuck on the physical level. You see it over and over. You see it with the woman, with the water. Um, see it in all kinds of different places. But here he says, I got food to eat you know nothing about. And they're like, well, somebody bring him food? What's happening here? He says, no, no, no. My food is to do the will of the Father that sent me to complete His work. What's Jesus talking about? It's the harvest. This is why the Father sent Him. It's to reach people to the Father. It's His whole purpose. And Jesus says, how can you eat when this just happened? And then He says this to them. Four months more, and then the harvest. But I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. See what he's saying there? Guys, talking to his disciples, don't you see? Lift up your eyes. The fields are ripe. Literally, it says the fields are white. He's calling them to see what they cannot see. That there are people all around them in need of Christ. 
And yet, the harvest is waiting. The fields are ripe. Guys, don't you see? This, they, they come into Samaria. They see Samaritans. They don't see a harvest. And yet, from one woman, this whole town has come to Christ. And Jesus says, can't you see it? Can't you see the harvest is there? Can't you see the Father's heart is to draw the lost to Himself? And it's all around you. It's right in front of you. It is so hard to see the harvest, isn't it? I mean, I just think about my own life. Maybe you can relate to this. But as I go about life, I go about my day and all the places that life takes me, and I don't see the harvest. Can you relate to that? You know, I'm, I'm seeing all kinds of people. I'm passing all kinds of people. But I don't see people. I don't see their need. I don't look at people in light of You need Christ. It's like I'm, we're blind to the harvest. We, I, I think sometimes we just think there's not even a harvest. We think, what's the point? Right? It's just, really, do people going to come to Christ? No, they wouldn't believe this. There's too many barriers, you know. Maybe, you know, I love whenever you become a new believer. You know, remember back when you were a new believer. What did you do when you were a new believer? Before you knew any better. You just walk around telling everybody about Jesus, right? Kind of like the woman here. But as you go along in the Christian life, a lot of times we just get jaded. Right? We just stop seeing people. We start feeling compassion for people that don't know Christ. And we look at how crazy the world is and we just don't see... All that craziness is like a deep longing for Jesus that's crying out and we don't even see the harvest. Just this past week, I was at a coffee shop downtown Chattanooga. And I'm sitting in there and you know, it's not Dade County. It's a little bit different Dade County in Chattanooga. And things are getting wild out there, okay? I'm in the coffee shop and you, know, you can tell just about everybody in there is real different, you know. Not real conservative in this place, okay? And I noticed one of the persons waiting the tables, it was a guy, I mean, he kind of looked like a normal guy, kind of athletic guy. He had a dress on. And I'm like, wow, is that for real? And I think he had a beard. I mean, he had a mask on, but I think he had a beard under there. And I'm just like, oh, you know, my jaw's dropping. You know, I got to get out more. We got to get out more. Because the reality is, it's getting wild out there, okay? It's, it's, it's the wild, wild west out there, okay? But I'm looking at it, and you know what my natural inclination was? It was just to recoil. It's to just be like, oh. You know, all of those kind of reactions that can happen in us when we see someone who's so far from Christ. But here's the beautiful thing. I was actually studying this passage. And God said something to me. He spoke to me in my heart. It wasn't an audible voice. But he said, you're looking at a Samaritan. You know, my reaction to him and all the other people in there was very naturally, just like the disciples. I'm like, what's wrong with the people here? You know, just, just don't even see them. And yet Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes. The fields are ripe harvest so often we see people in need of Christ and I think what we do is that we, we tend to think they're our enemy right 
that's kind of what I see happening in the American church right now. Is we're just so torqued up on politics and on our culture wars. And we're like, we're going to stand for truth. And whenever we see these people who are so far from Christ, we look at them as if they're our enemy, as if they're someone to be argued with. And yet what if we saw them like Jesus saw the Samaritan woman? What if we saw people, even someone in a dress, and we say, you're so thirsty for life. And yet you're putting on identities. You're, you're searching for, for living water in broken cisterns. Just like me. See, that, that, that's what I think the key is to actually having a heart for the lost is to be able to see people who might be so far out it would seem from Christ. But to realize my need, their need is no different from my need. That whenever, that, that, that the guy in a dress is no more lost than I was when God came after me and I thought I had life altogether. The guy in a dress is no more lost than someone who's driving in their big jacked up truck, you know, got the tough guy image going on. You know, I'm always talking about how I want the big truck, right? But you know what I mean? It's like we're all putting on a dress. It might not be an actual dress, but we're all putting on an identity. We all got something that we're saying, now this is going to give me life. Let me, let me put on this image. Let me project this. Let me build my reputation. Let me search after life in this or chase this. We're all doing that. It's the same thing. He is no more lost than any of those. He's no more lost than the moral good southerner that votes their, their conservative values is a good moral person, got a nice house and a nice family, and yet doesn't love Jesus. Do we believe that? Because if we did, I think it would change the way that we see people all around us. So you might say, man, I'm in Day County. Nobody's got a dress on here. Yeah. We are surrounded by people who are chasing after things in this life for life, and it cannot deliver. And Jesus wants to say to us, lift up your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. And the Father, His heart burns for the lost. Burns for the broken. He longs for them to know life in Himself. And so He calls us to share in His heart. So as a church, we want to be a church that shares the Father's heart for the lost. We want to be a church that just longs to see unbelievers come to know life in Jesus. And that longs to see believers grow in their relationship with Jesus. So that they become fishers of people. That's our heart as a church. Let me just give you three kind of applications for us corporately as a church. This is what I feel like this passage calls us into as a church. One, that we would be a people who go into Samaria, not around. That we in our life would see places of need, see people of need. See places that might be uncomfortable. That we would be a people who take risks. That we would move into that for the sake of the gospel. Because that's where Jesus goes. He didn't go around Samaria. He goes into it. Where in your life can you go into Samaria? 
Where can you move towards the lost and the broken in your orbit and in your life? Secondly, that we would know the fields are ripe. That we would have a confidence. That we would have an assumption as we go out into our day that around me there are ripe fields all around me. And I am looking for opportunities. Like Jesus showed up at a well and an opportunity popped up. I just wonder if we had this expectation, how many opportunities would we see? How many open doors? How many conversations could we see are tremendous opportunity? And then number three, would we share Jesus? Let me tell you about a man who changed my life. Would we share Jesus? You see, just like for the Samaritan woman, the only way that we're going to be a people that's going to take risks, that's going to have a heart for the lost, the only way that we're going to be that way, because it just can't be a duty. I can say, all right, go out and do this. That might last a day for those of us who are really committed. But how does this become really our heart and our life? It's only as we experience the gospel. It's only like her. As we're encountering Jesus. And as we see him pursuing us. As we see in, in the face of all of our unloveliness. Of all of the shame in our life. Of all the brokenness. Of all the struggle in our life. As we see him move towards us in compassion and love. Covering us, us with his righteousness. It's only as we experience that. That our hearts are moved. In compassion towards those that don't know. It's got to be the gospel that drives them. Let me stop there and give us a few minutes. To interact and talk about this together. If you're newer visiting here. We do this each week. What, what's happening in you. As you. See Jesus. In this scene. As you. Get in touch with his heart. We think about being a people whose hearts really long for the lost, who seek the lost. Let's, let's hear from each other. What's happening in you? I'm seeing how Jesus, you know, in, in one sense, the woman tries to, I don't know that she's trying to derail him, but she brings up this kind of complication. I think what she about is. where are we supposed to worship? And yeah. What about all that? I was the, we have a couple of guys that clean our office at our firm and they're pretty vocal, uh, homosexuals. And this guy, and he wanted to come talk to me the other day. So I'm sitting there and he comes and he wants to talk about kind of some recent laws that have been going on around the country that have to do with, you know, homosexuality and things of this nature. And, He's talking about this, and then, you know, I said, well, what I believe is, you know, about what the Bible says, and Jesus, and he said, oh, yeah, spirit, he just, he wanted to totally complicate it, yeah. and he started talking about spirit, and I, it was something really weird, something even I haven't heard of, what, the way he, you know, kind of believed in and interpreted the Bible, but seeing how Jesus wants to, to bring it back and refocus, yeah. you know, even, because if you... I'm thinking about the fellow you're interacting with you and you see it a lot. It's not the only conversation I've had where you start, where you start talking about spiritual things and it gets complicated mm -hmm. quick. There's, yeah. there's a lot of interesting and <laughs> you know, kind of weird beliefs out there, yeah, yeah. but Jesus trying to, to re hone it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, yeah. I, I'm thinking about that out of this too. That's great. Thank you, John. Yeah. If you are familiar with the story, 
it is a great piece. That's exactly what I think she's doing in the passage. Is Jesus says, you know, go call your husband. And he says, you've had five husbands. The one you, you know, he calls out the issue, the elephant in the room in her life. And she says, I mean, it's a great technique. You know, what's the best way to avoid Jesus? Well, introduce a theological debate into the situation. For those of us who are theologically oriented, it's a great way to avoid Jesus. She says, well, I can see you're a prophet. Let's discuss this, you know. And he, he just keeps coming back to her heart. I think what's huge is that I've never been able to argue anyone to Jesus. Like, I've had conversations where I felt like, man, oh, oh, I'm hitting it, you know. I, I've got the debate going on. I'm, I'm winning the argument. And yet, the heart is untouched. And I think the thing that we got to see about Jesus is He wasn't in a detached way trying to just shovel truth into this woman's life. He saw her. He felt her. He loved her. He had compassion in His heart. And I feel like that's huge. Both for sharing and also for the actual power in the message that we would share. Is that we got to actually see and love people. And that's the hardest part to do because it costs us. It, co- it might cost me looking at someone that there are things about their life that I might recall from. I mean, it could even be their politics. It could be the way that they look. It could be whatever. The hard part for us is, I've got to open my heart to this person if I'm going to share Jesus with them. Jesus opened His heart to people that did not know Him. So that, I think that's the challenge for us, and that's the hard part. Uh, I really appreciated the section where you talked about uh, the theology of the Samaritan woman. I think for us, evangelism can be scary already. Perception is worse than reality. Um, but we all believe, I know I believe, that all the lost people that I come in contact with are going to be experts in anti-Christian philosophy. And they're going to have all the answers against everything that I'm going to say, <laughs> right. uh, which is not trusting the Lord and the Holy Spirit's guidance. So I really appreciated that challenge and reminder. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Matthew. I think for a lot of us, that can be a barrier. I don't know enough. Okay, Hutch. So how do you balance out talking to somebody about how, how Jesus can fix their problems and give them meaning in life to the fact that there's an eternal judgment and accountability waiting people that are sinners before a holy God? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we should not shy away from that at all. I think a lot of times we have to know where someone is. Like whenever you look at Jesus, He encountered people in very different ways based on who they were. And it's part of how he saw them. Um, I find that with her, he kind of goes the route of idolatry, so to speak. You know, he kind of grabs onto what she is chasing after for life. And he says, I'm the only place you're going to find life. Where with Nicodemus, it's more of that, you know, the judgment aspect of, you know, there's no way for you to get into the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Saying that to a very religious person. So, uh, I think there are times that we emphasize different things, but we don't ever want to... I mean, that's a part of it. Like, 
It's an important part of it. And like I just yesterday, a, a, a pastor and a mentor of mine, I just saw him post something on Facebook and he said, you know, my job as a preacher is to get people ready to die. And it just struck me as like, I think it is. And I'm not sure if I do that enough. So we need to be really clear that people are going to hell apart from Jesus. And if we believe that, I think it can elicit compassion in us. Um, a deep compassion for people. Uh, so I think it's critically important. And it's at the heart of the gospel. So it's a good question. I don't think that that, that is what you lead in with everyone. Yeah. So I think, oh, sorry. Um, I think for me, the risk doesn't feel like when I'm thinking about talking to someone that's lost, the risk isn't like, oh, I don't know enough. I already know that. <laughs> so I don't feel like nervous about that. For me, the risk feels like, what if they reject me and then yeah. they don't want to be my yeah. friend? Yeah. So I'm feeling really convicted this morning because I actually even just had a conversation with a friend this morning that's not a Christian, and I think I'm realizing, like, oh, I value her friendship more than yeah. her salvation, yeah. and so, yeah, yeah, it just feels really hard to be yeah. confronted with that. Um, yeah, yeah. One, because I know that she actually won't reject me because she already knows that I'm a Christian, yeah. but that, that that fear is, like, preventing me from telling yeah. her about Jesus, and so, yeah, yeah. I, I, think I feel compelled to do something, but I still feel like really afraid. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing, Sarah. And, and yeah, I, I totally identify. You know, for me, that's the bigger barrier that I usually am not afraid I'm not going to know, have the answers or know what to say, which I should maybe hear that more. But for me, it's uh, not wanting to be rejected. Not wanting to be looked at as like the religious guy. Which you're like, you're a pastor, dude. I'm like, I know, isn't that messed up? Right? Like, I want to be cool. I want people to think I'm cool. I want people to think I'm approachable and all of that. And that gets in the way. That fear of man, that prizing of my reputation. I don't take risks because I don't want People to feel awkward or to think, hey, that awkward guy's trying to put Jesus on you, whatever. That holds me back. So, me too. That's my biggest barrier. Thanks for sharing. Okay, I probably won't get through this without crying, just so you know. We, um, through our store, we have many different types of customers that come through. And we love everyone just the same. And I think that's part of our ministry is just that we love everyone that comes to the store. And we have this one customer who we just, we just love her. And she is, um, she's a lesbian, she has a wife, blah, blah, blah. And we just love her. And she's always said to us that um, we've never judged her, we've always just loved her for who she is. And I'm like, of course we do, that's fine. And that's just, that's what we do. We know that God's called us here to love and serve our community. And she said, no, you don't understand. You see who I am and you love me and you know what I'm doing and you don't judge me. 
and there's things that she's come in and that we've, you know, she's like, I need you to pray for this. And I'm like, okay, let's pray right now. And, and we, we pray for her right there in the store. And she knows that, that we just, we love her no matter what. And she had to have some, um, some medical procedures done. And she asked us to pray for that. And, and we did. And um, she ended up passing away. And when I was texting her family, I was like, hey, I was just calling, you know, messaging to check on her. I haven't heard any updates lately. They said she died 15 minutes ago. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And they said she loved you. And I was just like, that's the first thing that they said. They said that she knew that you loved her and that she loved you back. And I'm like, I don't know what I did. I just loved her. And, you know, then my mind goes, well, should I have said, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing because, you know, it's a sin against God. And I've struggled with that because I'm like, did I share the gospel with her or did, was I just supposed to love her for who she is? And her family, they continue to message me and their thing is, is she loved you so much, Stephanie. And I'm just like, okay. So I think I did, you know, what I was supposed to do in that moment. And I think that I loved her the way that Jesus would want me to love her. But sometimes I do wonder also, was I supposed to do more? And yeah. 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 So I feel like that is, you know, maybe an example of kind of, kind of what you're talking about today. Yeah. And just, just love people. Yes. You know, yes. I mean, and that's just. It's what we do, and it's yes. what we're supposed to do. Yes. And I feel like the Lord has really put us in a position with having the store where we, we love those that are unbelievers, and we live the life of Christ in front of them, and, you know, we, we hope that they do see more in us, and I don't know. Yes. So. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that's a beautiful picture of the kind of love that Jesus loved people with and Jesus had this perfect balance of grace and truth you know it's what John says he came he was full of grace and truth which would seem to be opposing things um, and yet he had them in perfect measure how he was able to really love and see people and yet speak truth and that's that's the hardest part it's the hardest part how do you love people and speak truth to them so I just appreciate you sharing that. And I've wrestled with that same thing so many times in my life. And I've got, I've got a lot of relationships right now where I'm wrestling with that same tension. You know, that balance of grace and truth. So hard. But thank you for sharing that. Let me close us uh, in prayer. We'll move into our last song of worship. Lord Jesus, um, I thank you that you came to seek that which was lost because, Lord, you sought me when I wanted nothing to do with you. When I was your enemy, you came after me. And that's true of every person in here that knows you. Lord, we, we, we love you. We pray that you would um, so fill our hearts with the truth and the wonder of the gospel that it would make us a people that would come to share your heart. 
that we would love the lost and the broken, that we would love people that are completely different from us, that we would love people who are running after empty things in life, because that was us. Lord, would you give us a deep heart for the lost, and Lord, give us the boldness, courage, to share the hope that we have in Jesus. Lord, make us a people and a church that is passionate for the lost. In Christ's name we pray.